You're listening to audio from the Rail City campus of CA Church. We are a church fervently committed to bringing the good news to the city of Port Moody. We hope this message helps you grow in your personal relationship with Jesus. Well, good morning. If we haven't met before, like Cam said, my name's Sam, and this is very tricky because I can barely see you guys with the sun. I have very blue eyes. And I'm also the kind of person that sweats even sitting in the shade sometimes. <laughs> So good luck to me this morning, but it's so good to see you, so good to be with you this morning. Um, while it's been incredibly warm and sunny, which is which is a huge blessing and gift, I'm so thankful for Rocky Point Pool. Anybody else? Big Rocky Point Pool people. We, uh, My family spends probably every second day at Rocky Point Pool, and we've been loving the cool temperatures. But today's teaching text is from John chapter 10. So if you have a Bible... Uh, and you can see your Bible looking down at it or your phone, uh, then you can turn to John chapter 10. And uh, while you're turning there, I'll just say that, that we're continuing a sermon series today that we've titled, I Am Jesus in His Own Words, where over these last few weeks, we've been exploring these different statements from Jesus about his identity, about who he is. Cam opened the series with uh, the, this, this message about the transcendent nature of God, his eternal nature, where he said, before Abraham was, I am looked at the bread of life and the light of the world, the door. And, and these statements are, are kind of metaphors that Jesus uses to give us a glimpse into who he is, to give us a glimpse into what he's like. And so through this series, we're really trying to do what the author of Hebrews instructs us to do. We're, we're fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. In, in a world where everyone has an opinion about God and who he is, and what he's like. We're going straight to the source. We're going straight to the words of Jesus himself and saying, who does he say that he is? What does he say about himself? And so today, as I said, we're looking at John chapter 10. If you have your Bible open, you can read along. Otherwise, would you still, either way, stand with me for the reading of God's word. We're going to look at John chapter 10, starting in verse 11. This is Jesus talking. He says, I'm the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand is is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks and the flock scatters it. The man runs away because he's a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd, Jesus says. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. Just as the father knows me and I know the father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that are not of this sheep pen. I must bring them in also. They too will listen to my voice, and there shall be one flock and one shepherd. The reason my father loves me is that I lay down my life, only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down on my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. This is the command I receive from my father. Let's pray together, and then we'll look at this, these words from Jesus. Well, God, we know that this morning as we're here in the bright sun in Port Moody, that you're here among us. That as we sing these songs of worship that we just sang, as we open the scriptures and seek to understand what it is you want to say to us, that you are here. And so we just ask that you would speak to us by your spirit. That as your people, we would hear the words that you want to say to us. It's in your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. Amen. You can take a seat. So, I am the good shepherd. While while Jesus uses the analogy of shepherding here between a shepherd and a sheep to make his point, the overarching theme is not so much about the mechanics of shepherding 
as it is about leadership. It's about leadership. And I don't know if we've ever been in a time in history, at least in our lifetime, where there's been a greater felt need for good leadership. It almost feels like there's been this leadership vacuum in this last few years in so many different arenas with all sorts of different issues. And and whether consciously or unconsciously, we're all looking for someone to follow, someone to rescue us from this mess we're in, whether it be COVID or or politics or the housing market or, or global warming or racism or gun violence, and the list goes on. And so we gravitate towards leaders or ideologies that we think will, will lead us to this utopian future that we all desire. And while as Canadians, we're, we're almost allergic to kind of like a hierarchical style of leadership, we kind of have this stick-it-to-the-man, punk rock, anti-authoritarian vibe about us. And yet at the same time, our culture, or we ourselves, ache for good leadership. Deep in the human heart is this desire to be led, for someone to, to, to lead us towards a better way. But the question becomes, who can we trust to lead us? Should we trust religion and religious systems? Should we tr- trust the church, celebrities, our parents, the older generation? Should we trust mainstream news or maybe underground news sources? Should we trust a political leader? Who can we trust to lead us? And there's been so much abuse in leadership leaders that have used their power to prey on those they lead for self-serving purposes. And, and unfortunately, that doesn't only happen outside the context of the church, but it even happens sometimes within her walls. And so the question remains, who can we trust to lead us? In John chapter 10, Jesus lays out two different types of leaders. He contrasts the shepherd with what Jesus calls the hired hand, the shepherd and the hired hand. What's the difference? Well, at first glance, not that much. The hired hand has lots of shepherd-like responsibilities. He's to watch out for the sheep. He helps when they get stuck in thorns or thistles. He leads them to water so that they can have a drink. On a day with no real adversity, the, the, the hired hand could look a lot like a shepherd. The difference between the shepherd and the hired hand actually comes when the wolf or the bear shows up. Uh, about four years ago, my wife, Jorley, and I were in Whistler on a bit of a baby moon before our little girl, Kinsley, was born. And uh, we, we had just had dinner, I think, at Warehouse, if you've ever been to Whistler Village. And I think then we had ice cream at Cows, and we we're just walking back to our hotel. And as we turned the corner in Whistler Village, we saw this massive bear standing on two feet. It's probably 50 feet in front of us. This is actually where both of our recollection of the story is a little bit different. Jorley says it was a relatively small bear on all fours. I remember a massive bear on two feet. Who should you trust? I don't know. But, uh, but I see the bear in my first instinct. You know how, I guess I should say this maybe off the start. I am not the hero of this story, okay? You know how they say, you know, when, when people experience danger, they either fight or flight. So, so I see this bear, and, and before I even think, my legs are moving as fast as they possibly can uh, as far in the other direction as possible. And so I end up in this little souvenir shop and I run there and I'm catching my breath in this souvenir shop. And as I stand there, I suddenly remember about my pregnant wife. And I assumed that she was running kind of behind me and that she was right there with me. But as I looked around the souvenir shop, she was nowhere in sight. And so I start walking towards the door, kind of nervous about what I'm going to find, wondering if the bear was going to kind of go for the two for one dinner deal. 
And as I walk to the door, I see Jorley standing in the door of this souvenir shop, and she's shaking her head and kind of laughing under her breath. And she's like, everybody's okay, and the bear is gone. And that's not my finest moment, but, but Jesus, in verse 12 of our text, when the, hired, when the hired, he says this, when the hired hand sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he's the hired hand and he cares nothing for the sheep. I should make a note, I do care a lot about my wife. And I want to say if I were to do it four years later, I would look out for her. But, but Jesus uses this analogy of the shepherd and the hired hand to contrast two different kinds of leaders. There's the shepherd whose whole world is about the sheep. He'd, he'd lay down his whole life, for the, he'd, he'd stand in harm's way. And then there's the hired hand, or you might call him a counterfeit shepherd. And the counterfeit shepherd looks a lot like a shepherd. He dresses like a shepherd, he smells like a shepherd, talks like a shepherd. But when push comes to shove, the hired hand isn't there because of a deep love for the sheep. He, he actually doesn't have any emotional attachment to the sheep. He's there for a paycheck. And so when the wild animal comes, the hired hand, if his life is at risk, he's not staying to defend the sheep. He's the hired hand. I mean, he can be someone else's hired hand. He can get another job. These are just sheep, right? Like, there's got to be livestock insurance. When it comes to our lives, I think an important question that we need to grapple with is who is leading us? And are we being led by a counterfeit shepherd? Because there are all sorts of voices who are presenting a vision for human flourishing. There's, there's marketers who will do anything they possibly can to make you believe that, that they want what's best for you. That if you buy their product or you, you reach a certain status or, or you vote for a certain political party or you arrive at, at, at this future that you always dreamed about, then you're going to be happy and find comfort or get power or prestige. But are those promises true and trustworthy? Or like the hired hand in Jesus' parable, will they leave us behind at the first sign of danger? I want to take a closer look at some of these counterfeit shepherds, specifically ones that I, that I think are, we're more susceptible to follow in the day and age that we find ourselves in today. Um, I'm indebted to a guy named uh, John Tyson, who did a lot of great work on this topic and really helped to shape some of my thoughts on this. The first counterfeit shepherd that I want to look at today is culture. Our culture as shepherds. See, our culture has this profound ability to lead us and to shape us, to, to disciple us, so to speak. The mantra of our Western world is, is you do you. Kind of take control of your own destiny. Do whatever makes you happy. Don't let anyone tell you how to be you. And while that's a catchy slogan and an incredibly appealing sentiment, is that really what's going on in the grander narrative of our society? Can we really be whoever we want to be and whatever we want to do? Maybe. But our culture is actively forming us into, into this, kind of actively forming us in the way that we think and the things that we do and what we want to buy and leading us towards this certain end. And one of the ways it does that is through what uh, sociologists call choice architecture. Choice architecture is a way of influencing people without them even really knowing that they're being influenced. In essence, it works like this. Someone architects an environment, and then that environment over time shapes you. Here's a really simple example of, of how that looks from uh, a study that was done of a group of kids a number of years ago. And so the people who were doing this study, 
they recognized that kids were eating some pretty unhealthy foods in their cafeteria. And as they began this study, they saw that as the kids were working their way through the lunch line at school, they were being asked questions like this. Do you want a burger, pizza, or a salad? Do you want cookies or an apple? Do you want Coke, Sprite, or water? And if your kids are anything like my daughter Kinsley, then they're naturally going to choose, if those are the options, they're naturally probably going to choose the most unhealthy of those options. And so in, in a lot of the kids ended up becoming quite obese and really had some health challenges and struggles. And, and so the, the, the sociologists who were doing the study decided to change the order and change the presentation of what was being presented. And so instead of asking if they wanted, you know, cookies or an apple, they would say, do you want an apple, orange, or banana? You choose. Or instead of asking, do you want Coke or Sprite, they'd ask, do you want water or fruit juice? And in some cases, as a result of this kind of choice architecting, the kids lost as much as 26% of their weight. Like, amazing results. The main idea here is that environments have the ability to, to, to shape the kind of people that we're becoming. So then whoever de determines the framework, whoever de de determines the primary choices that are being offered determines the outcomes. And I mean, we looked at a kind of a silly example, a silly study with kids in a lunchroom, but this type of choice architecting is happening to us every day, all throughout our days, in big and small ways. We have, we have all sorts of choice and freedom, but many of those choices have been curated by the nature of the kind of questions that our culture is asking. And as we make big and small decisions through, through every day and week and month and year and over our entire lifetime, we're being shaped by our culture. Our desires are being formed by the choices that we're offered. I guess the point that I'm trying to make is that, that culture doesn't have a neutral role in the people we're becoming. Our culture has a very specific destination that it's seeking to lead us in. There's a soft kind of seductive pull that slowly over time, giving us this kind of illusion of freedom, be whoever you want, but is shaping us into a very specific kind of people, shaping our desires and our wants with propaganda and algorithms and choice architecture. And most often it's molding us into a kind of people who are often restless and anxious and wanting and searching for a high in a person or a purchase that's incapable of giving us the kind of, kind of fulfillment that our hearts are after. Okay, maybe playing devil's advocate here for a moment. Maybe you say, no, I'm strong enough to kind of stand up against the pull, about, against the marketing stunts and the propaganda and the choice architecting. I can make my own decisions. I'm not like those kids in the lunch line who will only choose from the options, will always choose the negative option. I can do this. I don't have a smartphone. I'm not being discipled by algorithms like everybody else. I can truly be the shepherd of my own soul. Maybe. But my experience has been just like the words of the prophet Jeremiah, that my own heart is deceitful. How do I decipher right and wrong, good for, from evil, or even what's good for me? Is it from what feels right? Well, my feelings are fleeting. What feels right one day can, can feel completely wrong another day. And I can so easily fool myself into thinking that I want something that I really don't, or I can do something today that's going to bite me in the butt tomorrow. I can convince myself that cheating or lying or hiding what's going on can help me solve the problem that's in front of me. And then you insert the power of addiction or habits or emotional and mental unhealth. And I think most people, if they're honest, would tell you that we're not really that good at becoming the kind of people that we long to be. So we have the option of letting culture shepherd us. 
we have the option of, of kind of self-shepherding, trying to shepherd our own lives and, and what we're doing. Or what about religion or even the church? Can we trust religious institutions to lead us? A lot of people in our culture would say no, absolutely not. Look at the track record. They'd say there's been so much abuse of power and coercion and deception within the church. And whenever the church gets enough power, they might say, that they, they, enough influence, it uses that power to, to exclude groups, to oppress minorities or control. And as much as I hate to admit it, there's a lot of validity to that claim. The church has not always been a safe place. There's example after example, even in our modern age, where pastors and leaders have used their power for evil not for good. Where rather than helping the weak and oppressed and marginalized, they've used those groups or, or abused those groups, and it grieves the heart of God. This is a topic that Jesus actually had a lot to say about throughout the Gospels. He was constantly critiquing the religious systems of the day, so much so that the religious leaders actually hated Jesus because he was constantly pushing back, pushing back against this type of spirituality that says, look at me all high and mighty while refusing to help the poor and the broken and the hurting and those in need. Even in the text that we're looking at today, a big part of Jesus' critique of the hired hand is about hypocritical religious leaders who use their place of power for personal gain. Jesus says in verse 12, so when he, the hired hand, sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he's the hired hand and he cares nothing for the sheep. So, so Jesus is saying, these hired hands, these religious teachers, they're not in it for the right reasons. They're not in it out of a deep love for the sheep. They're, not, they're, they're in it for a paycheck. They're in it for power or for what they can take or how they can use the, re, the religious systems as a vehicle to get what they want. Uh, a number of commentaries that I looked at this last week kind of paralleled this passage with Ezekiel 34. Kind of paralleled that maybe Jesus is almost quoting or paraphrasing the words of, of the prophet Ezekiel. So I want to go there for a second. Ezekiel 34, this is God speaking through the prophet Ezekiel to a group of religious teachers. And he's using, uh, these religious leaders are, are using the sheep. They're benefiting off people that they're leading. Here's what it says. He says, woe to you, shepherds of Israel, who only take care of yourselves. Should not shepherds take care of the flock? You eat the curds, you clothe yourself with wool and, and slaughter the choice animals, but you do not take care of the flock. You have not strengthened, thank you so much. You have not strengthened the weak or healed the sick or bound up the injured. You've not br brought back the strays or searched for the lost. You've ruled them harshly and brutally. So they were scattered. There was no shepherd. And when they were scattered, they became food for all the wild animals. Skip to verse 10. This is what the sovereign Lord says. I'm against these counterfeit shepherds. I will hold them accountable for my flock. So bottom line of that passage in Ezekiel, the, the, these religious leaders are eating the curds. They're clothing themselves with fine wools. They're slaughtering the best animals for their feast. And they're taking all the best resources for themselves. Essentially, they're using the sheep for personal gain. And I don't know what your experience has been with the church. I don't know what your upbringing was like. You know, if you did grow up in church, maybe you had an amazing pastor. Maybe you had amazing leaders who poured into your life. Or maybe you didn't. 
Maybe as I read these words from Ezekiel, it brought up memories of toxic leadership that you've experienced, that someone close to you experienced, where, where someone in authority used their power for really self-serving reasons, and it was destructive. And if that's you today, if, if the church wasn't a place of refuge for you, but was a place of harm and pain, as a pastor, as a, as a spiritual leader, as a Christian leader, I want to say I'm so sorry. Or maybe you haven't personally been affected by, by bad church leadership, but you've been shocked and appalled and angered as you hear about misconduct in the church. Or even past things, like how, how the church has handled things like the residential schools. If you are angered by injustice, I want you to know that Jesus is angry too. And there will be accountability either in this life or the next life for those who use their power for harm. It's not okay not the way of the good shepherd. The way of Jesus is a self-sacrificial laying down his life for the sheep. And in a world full of counterfeit shepherds, Jesus says in verse 14, I am the good shepherd. I lay down my life for the sheep. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. The leadership that Jesus brings is this kind of radically different way than the hired hand or the counterfeit shepherd. The leadership that Jesus brings is this gentle and lowly, self-sacrificial leadership. See, unlike the Pharisees, the religious teachers that we read about in Ezekiel chapter 34, Jesus spends his whole ministry on earth tending to the flock, caring for the weak, bandaging the injured, healing the sick, caring for the oppressed. Jesus' way of leadership is one of serving, washing his disciples' feet, caring for the outcasts and the refugees. He doesn't take gives. He offers his life for us. And he doesn't use guilt and shame and condemnation like sheepdogs to pen in the people like the religious system so often do. No, instead he lays down his life to protect and to care for. In verse 14, the language here shifts from, from kind of work to family, from shepherding to language of familiarity and friendship and intimacy. Jesus says, unlike the hired hand who doesn't care anything about the sheep, I know my sheep, and my sheep know me. Just like the Father knows me and I know the Father, I also know you. I know my sheep. And I think that's such an important truth about Jesus, our shepherd, that I don't want to move away from too quick. Jesus knows you. He knows you. Not the projection of yourself that you think is worthy of love. Not the cleaned up, smile on, Christianized, filtered version of yourself. The real you. The good and the bad you. The you that, that maybe you're ashamed to let anyone know about. Because if they knew this about me, he knows everything about you. And he loves you. With no strings attached. And this reality of being known by Jesus and, and knowing him is something that we'll spend the entirety of our Christian life growing and seeking to understand, learning to abide in him, to distinguish the voice of our shepherd from all the counterfeit shepherds that are out there. So Jesus knows us. He also lays down his life for us. There's, there's this great story in World, World War II that I think illustrates this point so well. It took place in July of 1941 at an Auschwitz concentration camp where a prisoner had escaped from this concentration camp. And so what the guards did 
is they chose 10 random people who were prisoners there, and they, and they decided to put those 10 people into starvation bunkers. And one of the guys who was randomly selected was this guy named Francis Gaivichik. And as he was being taken away to the starvation bunker, he started to yell out, my, my wife, my kids, I'll never see them again. And in that moment, a guy named Maximilian Kobe, he spoke up. He said, take me instead. And for some reason, the guards agreed. And so they, they left the other guy where he was, probably shaking with fear and adrenaline. And they took Maximilian Kobe in his place, along with nine other people, to the starvation bunker. Not long after that, Maximilian died. And 41 years later, in, in 1982, in St. Peter's Square in Rome, Pope John Paul II was talking to a crowd of 150,000 people. And he shared this story of Maximilian Kobe, and he said, it was a victory like that won by our Lord Jesus Christ. Maximilian Kobe, he, he gave his life so that someone else could live. Jesus of Nazareth, the good shepherd, in the same way, he laid down his life for his friends, or in the language of this text, he laid down his life for his sheep. The difference between the death of, of Maximilian Kobe and, and the death of Jesus is that Jesus didn't stay dead. See, in John 10, Jesus is foreshadowing his death on the cross where he would take the sins of the world, past, present, and future, upon himself. And rather than abandoning us in our time of need or, or fleeing in the face of danger like the, the hired hand is prone to do, Jesus, God in the flesh, would lay down his life for us, would die a death on the cross, taking the penalty upon himself that we deserved, three days later, rising again, and in so doing, breaking the curse of Satan's sin and death once and for all. Jesus is our good shepherd. Jesus is the only one we can trust to really lead us, because his heart is for us. And while he doesn't promise a life that's, that's free of pain or free of trials, he does promise that he'll always be with us in the midst of it all, that he'll never leave us or never forsake us. Like David the psalmist wrote, though we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, we'll fear no evil, because our good shepherd is with us. His rod and staff, they comfort us. Culture and its promises of a utopian future will fail you. Religious systems, they'll disappoint you. Maybe I'll even say this. I, Sam, I'll disappoint you. As human pastors, we're imperfect, and we're trying to take our cues from the good shepherd, Jesus, but we're not going to do it all right. I'm not going to do it all right. Cam's not going to do it all right. But Jesus loves you with a perfect love. Don't put your hope in us. Put your hope in him, the good shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep who's completely consistent and who loves you perfectly. Thanks for listening to this message. If you've been listening to our sermons, but you're not a part of a church community, we would love to have you join us. You can go to cachurch.ca slash railcity to find out more information about getting involved in the life and mission of the Rail City campus of CA Church.